on page, and we're in the middle of footnote six, and we're in the middle of discussing the idea that, as we mentioned last night, Rosham Shunafal Hirsch is a profound expositor of, which is that our role as Orthodox Jews, our role as Torah observant Jews, and the role that Hashem had in mind for us is not to isolate ourselves from this world and to only engage in that which we perceive to be a spiritual pursuit, but rather to engage with everything in this world and to find the sparks of holiness and to take the mundane and render it sacred through sanctifying those acts. So we are in the middle of the paragraph, actually. And uh, let's start again from the beginning of that paragraph, on page 68, the third paragraph. Actually, since the Torah is the blueprint of the world, as Chazal stress, as our sages stress, and the 613 mitzvot correspond both to the parts of the human body and to the various aspects of the universe. What he's referring to over here is the concept that our sages point out there are 365 negative commandments. In other words, 365 prohibitions that we are not allowed to do in terms of the commandments from Hashem. And there are 248 positive commandments that the sages in the Talmud go to great lengths to sort of find parallels to the number 365 in the universe and 248 in the universe, as well as in the human body. What's the emphasis that the sages are trying to make? What they're trying to emphasize is that we are supposed to be using the entire universe in our striving to become better people, in our striving to fulfill the word of God. We're supposed to be using our entire body, not just our soul, but our entire body in, the, in these goals of trying to make the world and ourselves a better place. The application of the Torah's teachings to life in this world will lift man and the world as a whole to the highest possible level of sanctity, perfection, and closeness to God, right? So it's true. In theory, one can even achieve a higher personal level of holiness if they isolate themselves from the world. And they indeed do not engage in any behavior that has the potential for bringing them down. And for that individual, it might be a better path in theory. But for the entire world to achieve the goal of what we're striving for, it is only possible through engaging with the entire world, through engaging with all the different people in the world, and through engaging with all the different elements of the world, both physical and spiritual, that we can actually achieve this universal goal of reaching a higher level. Rabbi Tzadik HaKohen explains that when we make the, the formulation of a blessing that we make right before we do an action, any mitzvah action, right? So if we're about to engage in a action that is commanded to do so either by Hashem or by the sages. For example, when we light the Hanukkah menorah, we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, Asher Kedishanu Melech HaOlam, Master of the Universe, Asher Kedishanu who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to light the candles. So what he's expressing, Rabbi Tzadik HaKon is expressing is that the means of sanctifying of your spirit is through a physical action in this world, right? You would think the way to sanctify your spirit is solely in the very spiritual plane. Only spiritual fuel can feed the spirit. No, it's not true. It's through doing a physical action in this world that you actually sanctify your spirit. The way that we do that is because through sanctifying the mundane is how we achieve God's role for us. The Chassam Sofer stressed that the injunction to be holy was announced in public assembly because it could be realized only within the community. 
In other words, once again, if you think to yourself, my holiest life would, was really in those days when I was cloistered in ivory tower and I didn't see anybody at all and things were great. I never had any temptations. I didn't have to deal with other people and have to engage with the world. And it was just so much easier to be a good person. And now that I'm part of the world and I have coworkers and I'm family, it's just so much more difficult, right? But the reality is that that's, that's easy to do it when no one's around. But that's not what Hashem wants from us. If the if the purpose of life was to do something that's very easy and that the results are spoken for beforehand, then that's not that's not a challenge. And that, that's the purpose of life is to be challenged. In fact, the Svas Emes explains, the Svas Emes, who was the second um, Rebbe from Ger, which is uh, the Gur Kalaria, which is in Poland, great, great Hasidic Rebbe in the mid 1800s. He explains that the sin of the spies who maligned the land of Israel resulted from their fear that when they would not be able to maintain the spirituality of the desert generation, which lived on miracles once they settled down to a normal life in their own land. So let's explain what he's referring to. So we know that in their second year in the desert, when they had left Egypt, they asked Moshe if they could send the spies into the land of Israel, and that was supposed to be a military strategy to figure out the best way to conquer the land of Israel. And indeed, they send the 12 spies, right? The 12, now, who are these 12 spies? These were the leaders of, their, of each tribe. These were very holy people. So the Sfat Semis asks the question, how could it be that they would come back and malign Hashem and say that there's no way for us to conquer this land, and it would have been better if we would have died in the desert? How could that even be? What could have caused this? So the Sfat Semis answers, that when they were living in the desert, they were living in an incredibly elevated plane. They were living in a world in which Hashem was taking care of all of their needs. But it wasn't just that Hashem was taking care of all of their needs and therefore their physical needs were met for. It was more pleasant because it was so clear and evident that Hashem was part of the world. It was far easier for them to actually only do what Hashem wanted. And what they were concerned is that absent, the void, that inspiration of seeing constantly bread falling from the skies, it would be far more difficult to fulfill the will of God. And that when they went into the land of Israel, they would rebel against Hashem, which indeed does happen, right? So there was somewhat of a justified understanding in terms of why they were maligning the land of Israel. They wanted to continue living in the desert. Their mistake was in not recognizing that Hashem wants us to strive and even though we will fail sometimes, but he wants us to strive, fail, pick ourselves back up, and continue in our path, continue trying to make progress in the journey that we are on. But their mistake was not recognizing that. But they were tragically wrong, for man's task is to bring the divine spark down into the world, right? So what we have to do is, and this is a Kabbalistic idea, that we are supposed to be bringing the spark into the world, or are supposed to be uh, redeeming the sparks that are found, that are already in the world. We're redeeming it from the surrounding klipot, the surrounding uh, impure forces, okay, in a Kabbalistic way. Rabbi Shamshun Rafael Hirsch points out that the Kedusha, as interpreted, by Targum Yonasan and recited by us in Uvalet Zion. So every day in, in Davening and Shachris, after the Shemona Ashrei, there's a couple of different prayers that we say. One of them is called the Ashrei Uvalet Zion. So we say the regular Ashrei prayer, and then we say a long prayer called Uvalet Zion, right? And Uvalet Zion Goel, which means, and to, to Zion will come a Redeemer. Okay. Now in that prayer, we describe this very elevated scene of where the angels are singing Hashem's praises. 
Now, the Targum Yonasan explains, what does this mean? It means God is not only holy in the isolation of his lofty heights, he is also holy on earth, as he remains holy in all the evolution of time. In other words, when we think to ourselves, God is only holy if we meet him where he is at, right? That's what many religions have stressed throughout the ages, that God is holy in the temple. We can achieve a level of elevation in the temples, in spiritual houses, right? But we cannot achieve a level of elevation in our daily job as a garbage man or anything that we do as a daily person engaged in our physical processes that are necessary for humans, right? And to continue our race, that's not going to be achieving a level of holiness. But the reality is that what we're saying is that Hashem is present in everything. Right. And it's critically important for us to understand that, number one. And then once we understand that, then now ask yourselves, well, how do we actually bring godliness into the world and everything that we do is going to be the next step of the phase of what exactly the Torah is helping us do. OK, so I just wanted to tell everyone this Friday, I was I'm preparing a little bit already for the Friday morning class on tefillah. We're going to be finishing the Birchat HaShachar, the morning prayers that we say, you know, the, those 15 blessings. And in the Yehi Ratzon that we say at the end that we're going to read from the Talmud and then look at it as we say it today, it's going to be delving deeply into the question that Jonathan had, had uh, WhatsApped. Uh, some of you might be on that chat. Some of you might not be. But Jonathan had WhatsApped a question. He doesn't understand free will. He has difficulty understanding what exactly free will is. And my response was, I don't think anybody really understands well what free will is. And he could count himself along an illustrious line of people who don't understand so well exactly what free will is. But Friday's class will be dedicated to achieving some level of understanding into what free will is. Uh, so hopefully that will be instructive in terms of like the interplay of the Yetzir Hara and the Yetzir Tov, the evil inclination and the good inclination.